Welcome to the Buck Stops here, the official podcast of NotInHallOfFame.com, and I'm your host, Kirk Buckner, the Buck, owner, operator of NotInHallOfFame.com and its sister sites, the fictitious athlete Hall of Fame, the fictitious rock and roll Hall of Fame. Today I had a great chance to talk to Richmond Webb. Uh, Richmond Webb is a former left tackle for the Miami Dolphins and briefly for the Cincinnati Bengals, but it was with the Dolphins that he had his greatest success. Seven times he was chosen for the Pro Bowl. Actually, it was the first seven years of his career. Two times he was a first-team All-Pro. And to date, he is considered by virtually every Dolphin fan as the greatest offensive tackle in that team's history. I had a chance to talk to Richmond Webb about the fact that he's not yet in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's actually never been a semifinalist yet. He really should be, at least reach that point. When you've accomplished as much as he has, he should at least get a look from the hall, and he hasn't really had his name go up into a serious committee where they could really debate his merits. Hopefully that's going to happen soon. He's actually in the top 100 of our current NotInHallOfFame.com football list of those to consider for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But we didn't just talk about that. We talked about his time at Texas A&M, his time in Cincinnati as a Bengal, and just the Hall of Fame process in general. And without further ado, I present to you Richmond Webb, a legend in football. Hope you enjoy it. Richmond, it's it's a pleasure to to make your acquaintance. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, no complaints. I have the privilege of living in the sunny Caribbean. So I'm calling you from Barbados. Whoa. I'm jealous now. I, well, you was on good terms till you told me that. I'm jealous <laughs> now. So I need to be over there with you. <laughs> well, I happen to know a few people here. I can probably make that happen. Mm, okay, well, hey, it's, it's, I believe in networking and connection, so that's always a good thing to know, you know, you got access to it, so I definitely <laughs> appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess uh, the first thing that's what I wanted to ask you uh, before I sort of go into your pro career, I'm always sort of fascinated when I'm talking to a former uh, football player or basketball player uh, about sort of the recruiting process in college. Now, you're from Texas, correct? That's correct. I uh, grew up in... Um, Dallas, Texas, you know, played high school football there. Played college um, ball at Texas A&M, but um, uh, yeah, you are correct. Grew up in Texas. So if you were recruited by Texas A&M, uh, which is a top flight uh, institution, clearly there were other other uh, colleges that were coming after you. Oh, uh, no question. I, I got um, mail from probably majority all, all over the country from the I think it was the Pac-10, the Big Ten, uh, really heavy in the Big Eight and the Southwest Conference, and I think even a few schools from the Southeast Conference. But um, I think I probably focused more on the Southwest Conference and um, the Big Eight, you know, at that time. I didn't want to go too, too, you know, some people like to, you know, go two or 3,000 miles away from home, and uh, I didn't want to go that far. I still wanted to be to where if my parents wanted to come see me play, I could be, you know, within a few hours drive or something like that. So um, I really, you know, took time and really considered the schools that were in proximity, you know, maybe a little bit further than that, but at least where I know that they could, you know, have an opportunity to come see me play. So um, I focused more on the Big 8 and the Southwest Conference. 
was it down between two uh, schools? Like, what would have been the other one that almost made the cut? Uh, I'd probably say uh, toward the end. I visited, I think, just about every school. Uh, I know I took visits to uh, Texas A&M, Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, and SMU. I think those were schools I visited. Some were official, some was unofficial. But um, I think it came down between A&M, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. And um, <clears throat> the other thing I kind of considered was, I, I, no matter where I played, I, I was pretty sure I wanted to move back to Texas to live. And then um, kind of thought about the networking and stuff like that. But um, it was it was tough, but uh, I chose Texas A&M. And I think it was the right decision for me. Um, but the Aggie network is huge, and I just felt kind of at home, you know, when I went down there. So, um, me and another guy from my high school that, you know, we have been knowing each other since third grade. We played, went to junior high, high school, played college uh, football together, and then he eventually went on to play for the Raiders, and I went to Miami. But um, we both signed a letter of intent to go to Texas A&M, so... Um, that was the right decision for me, and uh, and proved fruitful almost immediately because you as uh, was was it as a rookie or a sophomore you played in the Cotton Bowl. I was a redshirt sophomore, so it was really my third year. My first year I got there, I was um, redshirted, uh, needed to put on weight. I was probably about two thirty five, two forty, defensive lineman, and so um, I think I got up to two seventy probably in, by the end of the spring or the end of spring semester. And then I was a backup. My um, redshirt, well, I guess my, however you want to say, my second year, I was a backup D lineman. And in the spring, um, uh, they made a decision to move me to offensive line. wasn't real happy about it at first, but it was it was the best decision. I think everything worked out for the best. So, um, wasn't happy at first, but I just said I wanted to play, and I had played both positions in high school, so uh, I just tried to make the most of it, and everything kind of fell into place and worked out, and everything started to take off from there. Do you, uh, and you moved back to Texas uh, after your playing career was done. Uh, do you still have a close association with uh, A&M? I do. Um, matter of fact, I think in, next, in April, the spring game, so um, I will be going to the uh, – Spring game, they have uh, you know a lot of the alumni guys that played uh, uh, football for AM over the years. So even guys from my eras and eras after that and before that, it's just, it's just a good time to go back and fellowship and and uh, all that. So uh, I'll definitely go down that weekend, and uh, we always have a great time. So um, I will be uh, back in Aggieland in April. So once an Aggie, always an Aggie. One, that's it. I couldn't say it better. <laughs> so you're drafted to the Dolphins. Uh, I believe it was ninth overall. And I listened to a few other interviews uh, that you've done in preparation for this. And so a few things sort of stuck out uh, stuck out at me. Just it wasn't all that long ago, uh, 1990. But in terms of technology and just the way everything sort everything just sort of occurred. Uh, you were talking about how you just got the phone call. So like, were you watching that live on television? Or was that even broadcast live in 1990? I, I don't I don't remember. It, it, it was 
you know what? It was broadcast live. You know, it's totally different what it is today. Um, the draft was, I want to say, always on Sunday, the first round. And um, a few guys, they would, what I remember, a few guys would get invited to New York. Um, and then uh, a lot of guys would either be at, you know, where they went to school or at home with the families and that. And that's what I chose. So I was in Dallas. I was at my parents' house. And um, a couple of local um, television stations um, uh, were there. And, you know, right outside my mom's house. And uh, basically what happened I got probably four or five calls from different teams. Um, I think one was the Raiders, one was um, New Orleans, and they were basically saying, uh, we don't think you'll be there, but if you're there, we're going we're gonna to take you, but we think you'll be off the board by the end. <clears throat> and so you're sitting in front of uh, TV with your family, and um, you're watching ESPN, and... Uh, of course, Mel Kuyper was still doing it back then. You know, Mel's been there for, for years, but he was there, Swami, um, yes. Tom Jackson, and I'm trying, I can't remember who, it was normally like a, a panel of four people, maybe Joe Theismann, I think Joe Theismann was the other guy. And uh, so uh, first pick was Jeff George, he's quarterback out of Illinois, he went to uh, the coast. Second pick was uh, Blair Thomas, Penn State. He went to the Jets. Third pick was a good friend of mine out of the University of Miami, Cortez Kennedy. He went to Seattle. And um, the fourth pick was Keith McCann, out of Alabama. He went to Tampa. Fifth pick was Junior Sal. Um, he went to uh, Chargers. Sixth was... Uh, so after the fifth pick, it was Mark Carrier. And then everybody pretty slotted. Uh, Andre Ware played against him in college. He went to the University of Houston. He was a Heisman trophy winner he went to Detroit because they ran the run and shoot and then New England had the eighth pick uh, they took Chris Singleton and while they were taking him even though it was on TV my phone started ringing and uh, I picked the phone up you know they turned the camera on started recording and uh, it was Coach Shula on the phone and he said this is Coach Shula are you ready to be a Dolphin I was like you know yes sir and uh, I didn't have to wait that long, but it seemed like it was an extremely long time because you listen to the commentators on TV, and I think from around the fifth pick, they were saying, well, this team could use a tackle. They might take him. And then they took Junior Sal. And then, you know, uh, Chicago could use a tackle, this and that, and they took Mark Carey. And then uh, same thing, not with Detroit, but with New England, the same they could use in Richwell, but and it did happen. And once it happens, they uh, pull up your profile. And they, I think they showed a couple of clips from the Senior Bowl and um, all that. And uh, that was it. So uh, it was it was like a big weight off my shoulders once I was drafted because uh, it takes away the anxiety of the anticipation of will it be this team, this team. And the main thing that I wanted was to go somewhere warm and couldn't have picked a better Placed in South Florida, so that was perfect for me. So, not a big fan of the cold, then, obviously. Mm-mm. <laughs> Man, that cold that, that separates the men from the boy. I mean, if I would have went there, I think you adjust because one thing I know you have to be prepared. It's mm-hmm. a different type of way you have to dress and stuff like that. And I think your body adjusts. But if I had my choice, I, I chose the heat over the cold. <laughs> 
I was uh, happy. Yep. Playing in cold weather games that I knew once we played the game, we would be getting up out of there. I didn't have to live in it. So I was, that was the main thing. But yeah, um, I'll take that warm weather any day. Well, I'm, I'm well, still from Canada. So like I spent, uh, actually I've only been in the Caribbean for a year. So I, I was in Canada for many years. I've actually seen you play a couple times in Buffalo. So okay. certainly, uh, are you, are you close to Niagara Falls or Toronto? Yeah. Or, uh, I, uh, yeah. I grew up in okay. a town called Burlington and then after I got married, I was in Toronto for many years okay. before I moved out to the Canadian Rockies. So, excuse me. Okay. 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 But, but just for the record, I'm, I didn't grow up a Bills fan. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't there booing you. I was mostly there trying to avoid being one of the many people who were not in a fight in a, going to a Bills game. Oh yeah. And they, you know, that was a serious rivalry, you know, the Miami Dolphins and the, and the Bills. And then, you know, I started doing a little history like, why do they not like each other? I mean, I understand rivalries that. And then I stumbled across some, I think, maybe from 70 to 80, the Dolphins beat them like 20 times in a row. It was something like ridiculous. So it was something to just, I said, if that's not enough to make you want to hate somebody, that's definitely, you know. So I was like, okay, I get it now. But uh, great rivalries, you know, they had some. Great teams with uh, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, uh, Andre Reed, James Lofton, uh, Steve Tasker, and then, you know, uh, Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, I mean, uh, Bryce Pop. I mean, they just, they had some really, really good teams, and that was the reason we couldn't get to the Super Bowl because they were always just a little bit better. Or they was always able to get it done to get to the next level, but, uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for those guys, and I, I did enjoy competing against them. Well, and, and you're uh, protecting Dan Marino, obviously a uh, legendary quarterback. Uh, one, one thing that I, I sort of uh, wanted to ask you, uh, as, as a left tackle, and there wasn't that many mobile quarterbacks then. I believe the most mobile quarterback of that era uh, was Randall Cunningham. What, if, if I'm, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe all the quarterbacks that you had, even in college, were your traditional pocket passers. Would you have, what would be the mindset then if all of a sudden you would be protecting a mobile quarterback like Cunningham? Um, I mean, I, I guess it's plus and minus and different, but, you know, playing in college, we were more of a running team option quarterback team. So a lot of time, the quarterback ran the ball kind of like an extra running back. We threw the ball, but not much. So I had to adjust from going from, being a heavily dominant run offensive oriented team to uh, more drop back passing, uh, throwing the ball a lot more. And I think that's what they had in mind when they drafted me and Keith Sims. It wasn't that we didn't know how to block and run the football, but our job was to protect, uh, you know, Dan Marino. And that's what we were brought for it, brought to Miami for it, And that's what we did. And, you know, a lot of times people say, well, we should have been able to run the ball more. We could have, but that wasn't what our offense was designed. We were designed, you know, when you got a prolific passer like Marino, and he's been doing it, you know, he was there eight, I think eight years before we got there. So that pattern was already established. We were just there to protect the investment, which was him and uh, 
won a lot of games and stuff with him. So I think it just depends on the offensive scheme. Um, it, 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 it does help at times. You know, I even watch the game now. Um, with a guy that's mobile, he can sometimes escape, but sometimes you might have a guy block and then he's trying to escape and run right into the guy you blocking and you're like, oh, no. So um, as long as you're out there competing and you're trying to win, uh, to me it doesn't matter. It's just you just do your job to the best of your ability and try to give you, your team the opportunity to win a football game. Uh, so you're always a fix-it left tackle. Was there ever any plan when you moved to Miami for you to be a different position or that's where they wanted you right from the start? That's where they wanted me right from the start. You know, when I started playing at a and uh, I was backup left tackle. And then the guy at guard got hurt, so they moved from backup left tackle to guard. So I played offensive guard half my sophomore year and my junior year. So right before the start of my senior year, uh, they decided to move me out to tackle, which I wasn't real happy about that because I hadn't played it, really didn't play it in the spring. It was like a week or two right before the season started, we moving you to left tackle. And I was like, I didn't really have time to prepare it just because it's a different, you know, guard. You normally a little bit more firmer set, and I was comfortable there. So uh, moved to tackle, played, and actually did pretty well out there. And then the funny thing was when I went to the senior bowl, uh, Buddy Ryan was my coach. And uh, I, I, as soon as I got there, I was lobbying for <laughs> to Coach Ryan. I was like, hey, you need to really let me play guard because I always said, okay, I know I can play guard. I played it just to do to help the team, but I was trying to get back in my mind, my comfort zone. He was like, he said, I hear everything you're saying, but he said, no, everybody wants to see you tackle, so you're going to be playing left tackle. So I stayed out there and then uh, did well at the senior bowl, and I played that position, you know, the rest of my career. So it's just kind of funny, but it's funny how things happen. But I, I did try to lobby to get back to my old position, but it didn't work. <laughs> and... I'm not sure if you're the only one. I think you are. I think you're the only Miami Dolphin to be a Pro Bowl in their first seven years. I think you're right on that. I think you're right. I think that is correct. So, as a, as a team player, and there's not always a lot of spotlight on offensive linemen. I mean, like, those who are really following the game close certainly do. Uh, like a casual fan... Uh, don't don't necessarily understand the value of of, of the O line, but you know I'm, I'm when you when you when you reach that indiv, individual accolade, and I know you don't really think about that as much at the position that you're playing. But when you first get to, as a Pro Bowl as a rookie, can you walk me through the mindset on that honor? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I uh, you know I was playing and. Um, uh, like I said, me and Keith played really well considering we were rookies. And I think when we started so early, it was unheard of to put two rookies on, on your blind side of your uh, uh, quarterback and, and just turn them loose. That, um, that's what happened, and, and we played. And then I think we ended up going 12-4 and four that season. And uh, we, we were the wild card. The Bills won the division. I think they was 13-3. and three. We was one game behind them. But um, uh, I really wasn't thinking about anything like that. And then um, I think uh, 
Marino, uh, I want to say Mark Clayton, Jeff Cross, and then uh, the thing about it, when they announced the awards, uh, Coach Shula waited to save mine for last, so it com- caught me by surprise, but it kind of blew me away because, you know, I wasn't expecting it, and uh, th- I think the thing that really made me appreciate it was my teammates were happy for me as well because, you know, um, at that time, you're a rookie, you're just trying to fit in, um, you're trying to fall in line, see where where you fit and this and that, but um, I really had some good teammates, and they were truly, truly happy, happy for me. So uh, it was a great honor, caught by surprise, and I even think the coaches were happy for me. So it was, it was, it was really good. I, I think it, it, it. I don't know. I can't really express how it felt. That was truly. I was kind of surprised. But I was truly happy. Like wow, you know, I really did that because you know, you just that's not an expectation most of the time. Your rookie year, that oh, okay, I'm gonna just go and make the Pro Bowl, especially as an offensive lineman. And I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Dan Marino gave you more than an isotoner gloves. Dan gave some uh, gifts throughout the every year. Uh, he would always, you know, give everybody something. He get offensive line something. So I know we got the gloves. I came from what else we got, but I got cowboy boots one year. Uh, he would give us different gifts and stuff like that. So yeah, he was good about that. This is a really random question, but just uh, the, the comedy film lover and myself has to ask that. Uh, when was were you ever asked, or were any of the other Dolphins other than uh, Marina and Shula asked to be part of Ace Ventura? You know what? I, I was. Um, it was a couple of us in there. I think I was there. I don't think I actually made an actual clip, but I was there for some. Oh, you were. Because I think. We, Okay. I don't. I don't remember being in the movie, but I remember Jeff Ulanate. He was the center, and he was in the movie. But uh, I think they took some clips that they maybe edited out that didn't make the movie. That maybe where we were out on the field doing something. I think we were in that. But we never. I never made the actual movie. But yeah, I, I do remember that time because it was early on, uh, my first second year in Miami. Seemed like when we made that movie. Did you uh, get to go to the premiere? I did, I did not go to the premiere. No, I didn't. Mm-mm. One of those things I just had to ask because it just sort of like fell into yep. that, to- that time frame. Uh, one of the other accolades that you got uh, was being a first-team All-Pro, uh, and you did that twice. Uh, same feeling as becoming a Pro, Bowl, Pro Bowler? or like Because I've always felt that being a first-team All-Pro means a lot more than being a pro bowler is that would that be an accurate assessment that, that would be an ac- accurate assessment and I, I think what it was was um uh, what am i trying to say um it is an accurate assessment and i guess i really didn't pay attention to it uh first couple of years but being all nfl or all pro is it combines both conferences the american and the national conference so if you can make first team um uh, that even carries more weight than just making the Pro Bowl. You know, it's only uh, two tackles. You know, it's like even you first, two tackles for the first team, two second. Where Pro Bowl, you make you got two starters on the American, two so it's four. So it really is okay. Let's really tighten this thing down. So um, that's definitely accomplishing that. That is extremely tough because it's a lot of good. Um, at that time, it's a lot of great offensive linemen. So even to make that, that was. That was huge. 
And uh, you played two years in Cincinnati. Uh, any memories uh, you, that really sort of pop out other than the fact it was colder? It was colder. Um, I enjoyed playing in uh, Cincinnati, believe it or not, and, and what I could appreciate. And I think that's just um, in that division, that central division back then, but it was, I guess the AFC North now is central. Then. But it was, you know, you had like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, um, I think the, back then it was Houston Oilers and Cincinnati. And um, the thing I could appreciate about it was I got there was uh, I know Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, those are blue collar towns, just mm-hmm. hardworking people. But um, when I went to Cincinnati, they hadn't probably been to the playoffs since maybe 90. So it was 10, 11 years they hadn't went, but they were just true diehard fans that still love the Bengals and still had that expectation of, you know, opening day, this and that. And even, I think we went 6-10 and 10 my first year, but they just, they supported the team and uh, they love their Bengals. So when you find somebody that's true and have that type of love for the game and for, you know, organization or whatever, you can't help but appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And going back to Miami, you received the ultimate honor there by uh – so it wasn't uh, re- retiring your number. So uh, in their ho- hall of honor, I believe they call it. Ring, ring, of, ring honor, of honor. Yeah. Sorry uh-huh. about that. How now? Who calls you to tell you that that's happening? I remember I went back um, after I played and retired to sign and retire because I did want to re- retire as a Dolphin. So uh, they honored that. I was happy about that. And then I want to say. I want to say it was Nat Moore. I could be wrong, but I want to say it was Nat Moore that I got the call from. And then, uh, and I went in with uh, Dick Anderson, another guy I played back in the 70s on the undefeated team, this and that. And, uh, you know, surprisingly to me, the Dolphins have a lot of offensive linemen that's in that ring of honor. So for me to be considered up there with some of the guys' names uh, that were were there, you know, along with some of the others, it, that's, that's almost like being in the Hall of Fame for that organization. So um, I was I was truly happy to, to be named one of those guys there. That was definitely an honor. But you're, you're being a little humble because if you, a lot of the fan blogs, you know, when I was doing all, all my prep for this, uh, name you, and I agree with this totally, as best tackle in franchise history. Yeah, um, you know, they had some good, t- you know, like, and I, I've met some of the, the guys that played in the 70s, so um, I just have a huge respect for the people that came before me, and, uh, you know, guys like Larry Little, Kuchenberg, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Howard. so, I, you know, when you meet those guys and you hear the stories, and, and when, you know, I went through two days, but, you know, talking to some of those guys, uh, Manny Fernandez and I, they went through three of days, you know, talking to Larry Zonker. And I'm like, how do you go through three of days? Because I can imagine how tough it was when we were going through two of days. And I said, you add another practice. So I was like, my goodness. I said, I thought I had it bad. But then you start listening to somebody else and be like, you know, hey, this and that. And that's how it was. So um, you're actually learning. I get to learn the history of the game. I was before you this and that, and then you know you get to just sit back and listen and and, and enjoy some of those stories. And uh, so 
I have a deep appreciation for that. Uh, I, I might be humble or whatever, but, you know, I truly respect those guys because they set the standard before I got there, and I was happy to to be honored to say, okay, keep that same, you know, keep, keep the bar rate high and uh, try to keep things going the way they set it. So uh, uh, I, I appreciate the fans, you know, showing me love, but, but, but I, I'm always give honor and respect to the guys that paved the way for me. So I guess that's why I answered some of the questions the way I answered, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> so uh, actually when you brought up uh, Bob Kuchenberg and some of the other, other players, uh, do you sort of? Uh, I, I know you weren't a member of the of the Dolphins team that went undefeated, but when the last uh, team loses, do you sort of like raise a glass also, just out of respect to some of the people that you got to meet uh, as a Dolphin. You said when the last team loses. Yeah, when when there's no longer an undefeated team in a season. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 That's that's something that um, and. I, I'm happy because I'm I'm part of the Dolphins, so I know how much the guys that went 17 and 0. I know how hard it is, and I think the the biggest scary guy was a couple years ago when the Patriots went. I want to say 19 and 0, and they lost mm-hmm. to, to the Giants. Baltimore in the Super Bowl. No, the Giants in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so um, they always toast champagne. Coach Hugh was there with them, this and that, and. Um, and they celebrate, so um, you know that's something that that's that's bragging rights that nobody else has. So they can say at the end of the day, you know, we we have an unblemished record. Yeah, you can say you did this and that, but nobody beat us that year. So um, I'm always hats off to them. So yeah, I look forward to that. And uh, you mentioned of of the of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, that's uh, needs to say something that I pay a lot of attention to, just with. Uh, website that I run, uh, you have, you've been snubbed, uh, to put it bluntly. Uh, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, I, I think, does a lot of things correct. Uh, they're a lot more transparent than the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in many ways, and the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, however, what I think they've always sort of gotten wrong is when they put out a preliminary list each year there's always some great people who sometimes haven't made it. There was a year, I think it was 2015, you weren't even on the preliminary list. And for a seven-time Pro Bowler and a two-time first-team All-Pro, to me, that's heinous. That's a that's that's a, almost a criminal act. Oh, no. I I, I mean, I get it. Um, like you said, I, the last few years, I know I've been on the preliminary list, but um, it's, I, I make that list, but I don't even think I made the the semis or whatever, and that's kind of puzzling. I know it's a lot of guys that, you know, are deserving. And you, you might not make it out of way, but I would figure that it, it wouldn't take this long to get out of the preliminary. So I don't understand the whole process, but um, that's about all I can say. So um, sometimes it's question in my mind, but I don't, I don't let it bother me a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know the whole process that you write to come up with like a hundred, hundred and something players. And then they reduce it down. But 
Yeah. Yeah. So like, think, like uh, for this past year, for example, there was 122. Uh, you were on that list. Right. And when they break it down to the semifinals, it's, it's an incredible group of players. And at that point, uh, when it gets down to that separate committee, they're doing the best they can. I, I, I truly feel, feel that. But there were some names, even this year, uh, Ruben Brown was not a preliminary finalist. Yeah, and I remember him, I played against him when he was at uh, Buffalo, uh, Pro Bowl guard, this and that. I think he played for Chicago after that or something. So, yeah, I know Ruben real, real well. So, yeah, it's, I think the thing is, is that just like you're surprised, there are players that not necessarily that's up for it that hold you in high regard and say, well, man, I'm surprised you hadn't been put in there yet or they see you get snubbed and this and that. So it's not just, I think, fans or, 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 or like uh, people bringing attention to it. It's just, if, I think if we understood the complete total process, of, I don't know how you advance or whatever. So um, I guess that's why I just kind of say, Okay, well, maybe next year or something. But um, you you bringing up some good points. I will tell you that. I'd, lo- I'd like to think that every now and then I stumble across a good point once in a while. That's what my wife says. Not very often, though. <laughs> uh, so is there somebody who's not in that you would like to see? Like, who would you be most well, happy, that- personally? I was happy to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was happy to see uh, Steve Atwater. Um, mm-hmm. I ran to him a few years ago and uh, played against him in the Southwest Conference. He was at Arkansas, I was at a and And then uh, I remember him playing at Denver all those years and uh, always had a tremendous amount of respect. So I was happy to see him actually um uh, actually make make the class this year, so I was definitely happy about that. Uh, thoughts on Zach Thomas? He finally made it to uh, the finalist. And that, that's good. You know, he's been on the on the ballot several times, and uh, I thought he might squeak, you know, squeak in there, but um, um, he didn't make it. But when you start getting that close, if you, normally, you know, um, I'm thinking they'll get him in there, but he has the numbers, the stats. Uh, you know, I played with him. Uh, I was about my, maybe seven year when, when Zach got there, and uh, he's always, you know, he's got tremendous respect uh, from his teammates, and he's never been one to just say, you know, I did this. He always gives credit to the other guys that played with him on defense, and he's not an I guy. He's definitely a team guy, and um, I think even uh, the year before, Kevin Maui from the Jets mm-hmm. uh, gave him uh, a tremendous amount of credit just in that and and made that statement. And uh, uh, he's highly respected around the league as well. So, great player. Yeah, and, you, and uh, one of the players that you mentioned earlier who's uh, sadly no longer with us, uh, Bob Kuchenberg, he was so close. He was a finalist, I believe, six times. And then just never made the cut. Did he ever talk about that with you or it just never came up in conversation? He didn't, I, he didn't but I, I think that definitely bought it. If you make the final six times, it's kind of like, um, I'm sure it's kind of like Drew Pearson. I think he's, Oh yes. Um, yeah. one, one of the last ones on the, you know, all decade team in the seventies and he's still not in there. And I'm like, 
you would think this year, uh, him with them having a class of like twenty guys going in, that he would get there, and it, it, it sounded like before he was almost assured he was going to be in there because if you watch the interview out after you know he found out he wasn't in there, um, I don't I don't know if somebody told him no, he's pretty much a lot. I don't know, but. He was disappointed, but it seemed like he had been betrayed. Or the, and yes. I guess it's, it's puzzling to where he's saying, that, you know, you give so much to the game and you want to be given the honor that's due to you. And then, you know, it, it, to me, it seemed like it was a slap in the face. And, and I could tell that really, really disturbed him. He's like, you know, never again. Y'all won't get me again. I was like, I was like, wow, that, that can be frustrating. I, I think it really was too, because I, I guess like, like yourself, you, you that was uh, broadcast on television, and or for for his reaction, and I was watching that of uh, the Pro Football or sorry the NFL Network uh, when all of that was going mm-hmm. down, and I I thought they and as much as I I'm a fan of so many things with the Hall of Fame, I thought the NFL Network did a horrible job in the way they sort of presented. The, the way they sort of dragged that whole show on, which was about a two-hour program, and then as they're announcing people periodically staggered throughout the show, uh, when they announced Harold Carmichael, he was there to receive right. to, to receive that. So I could only imagine then afterwards when you saw the reaction that that uh, Drew Pearson had when Harold Carmichael was there, it's sort of accepting that announcement. He had to know it was not looking too good. And clearly he must, he had to have felt blindsided because he wasn't invited right, to that studio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it's it just, uh, um, um, like, and, and then you see, it, it almost seems like you're saying, well, how did he know? And I didn't, you know, it, it, that can easily enter in. So I was like, yeah. Because I, I, I believe it's just like you said, he was sort of, it was alluded to him that he was probably going to get in. And there w- there is a lot of valid criticism to, I think, the way the Pro Football Hall of Fame has handled uh, the inductions for the Centennial Slate class, uh, especially with the two coaches who got in. Because uh, there was a feeling that Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson, both Hall of Fame worthy coaches, I feel, but is if they yeah. jumped the line over Don Coryell and definitely Tom Flores, who was a finalist. Mm-hmm last year and it made great television when David Baker's knocking on that door. But when people are criticizing that they, they jumped the line because it made for great television. I don't know how I can disagree with that. I, I don't know if you sort of feel the same. Yeah. It, it was kind of surprising because, you know, um, um, I'm, it was a surprise to the coaches, like you said, Tower and and, and Jimmy. But um, when you, I think in a way, normally the way they do it, and, and maybe because they they're announcers on TV, but normally the way they've been doing it, you're normally in a hotel room or whatever, and you wait for that call or that knock on the door. And so, if they were being considered, and they were finalists. Seemed like that should have been done, but it was like they were already given the award ahead of everybody else. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. two or three days ahead of, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, 
Well, and 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 yeah, Cowan Johnson is different. And Cowan Johnson uh, uh, certainly looked legitimately surprised, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Cowboy fans had tears in their eyes uh, looking at Johnson's reaction, and with uh, Troy Aikman mm-hmm. looking on uh, as one of the broadcasters, and, and it made for great TV. But as soon as that sort of happened, I'm looking at, looking through Twitter, and then you seeing the Raiders fans upset, and I get it. I totally get it. Tom Flores, I don't know how he goes from being a finalist to not making that group. But again, that's, it was a different committee than the committees that they had before. Mm -hmm. And then, and and, you know, I've talked to a reporter one time, this was five, four, five years ago. And he said, it's not that people don't agree with the people that don't make the hall of fame. It's the ones that kind of get snubbed are the ones that should be in there that don't get the recognition. That that stands out more than if you actually get inducted in there. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yes, always... I do. You know, somebody you can make a case for. And um, I think that... I, I, I say, you know what? You got a point. I say, you got, I say, you got a... I, I had less. You know what? You, got, you, got, you brought up a valid point. I say, it's always... But I think it's because people... Love a game of football, and you can appreciate the body of work that somebody has put together, and you feel they're deserving. They should be in there. They should be honored. So I don't know how they fix it, which I think they are kind of looking at it and saying, okay, maybe doing five guys or six guys is not enough um, to get guys in there. Because like, even when they did this 20, Guys, this year, it was some guys that went in that already have passed away. And if possible, you want that person that actually did the body work, if possible, to be able to get honored, you know, have a few words and say that. And, you know, I guess you just try to right wrongs or or fix it or try to come up with a better system. Uh, And I think that's what the Hall of Fame is trying to do. And, um, but I guess they keep tweaking until they they figure it out and you know do what's best. But no, I, I, I get all that. I, I totally agree with uh, with what was said about uh, sometimes actually being stubbed makes you more famous. Uh, one of the first people I ever mm-hmm. had the privilege of interviewing was Pete Rose, who said mm-hmm. the exact same thing to me, and he said that in other interviews uh, since then, as I as I found before. Uh, if he was already in the Hall of Fame and if he wasn't banned from baseball he wouldn't be as big a name as he is now. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I understand, you know, he made a mistake, did do some things that he probably shouldn't have done, but, man, that guy that had a, he should be in there. You know, that's just my opinion. Just, I, I think he's paid a big enough penalty now to where it's okay, guys. Yeah, he pissed some people off. He did the wrong things, but uh, I think he should be in, in baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, he's huge, yeah. And yeah, it's sort of like in a similar, not not quite a similar situation, because I, I always wondered if uh, Alex Karras had to wait so many years, and sadly, his induction is posthumous because of mm-hmm. the gambling uh, when he was suspended a year for gambling. And he was certainly Hall of Fame worthy as a player. No one can doubt that. 
No, no one can doubt it. And then, you know, what you gotta look at is, you know, drugs is, is an addiction. Uh, alcohol can be an addiction. Women can be an addiction, but gambling is an addiction also. So, if you can get that person help and get them recovered from that, I'm not saying what they did was right, but <laughs> after so long, um, that's what I said about P. Rose. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not, I don't know if he even had a gambling addiction. But I know some people do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for you to do something like that, it's either a bad decision or, you know, you have some type of addiction or something. And I'm not, I don't know enough about it, but I do know that's why he's not in there. That I think it's been long enough to where we can say, okay, we should let the guy in. Well, baseball is a far more stubborn sport. Uh, Shoeless Joe still banned from the game, even though he's been dead for 50 mm-hmm. years. Wow. But uh, I, I guess that's that's with that's decided on by people who can afford a better suit than I can. Mm. Gotcha. So I, I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, okay. Hopefully, I can, uh, Hopefully, we could do this again at another time. And thank you so much. It's been an honor. Hey, you have a good day, and, and we can do it again. Ain't no problem. I appreciate everything. All right. Thanks. Again. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Richmond Webb. When you get a chance, take a look at his page at notinhalloffame.com. Cast your vote. Should he be in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? We think he should. Uh, you might think the same, and if you do, cast that vote. Give us your opinion. We'd love to hear it. And take a look at all the other names that we have on that. We've recently just updated that, our 300 actually. So it's just been redone to reflect all those who are now eligible for the 2021 Hall of Fame class. Thank you so much, and look for more interviews in the future.